And I wanted to do something a little bit humorous this morning because this is, this is the crux of spirituality. This is the thing that you can do. Forgiveness is the thing that you can do that makes you free. And living in unforgiveness is the thing that you can do that will guarantee to keep you chained up for the rest of your life. Forgiveness is one of the ways that we let go so that we make a space for abundance to come into our lives. If our hands are closed into fists, we're not able to receive the beauty, the abundance that life has to bring us. Forgiveness can heal physical wounds. We can cause ourselves actual physical injury by the way that we hold on to things which are not serving us, which tend to make us a little bit obsessive, which hold us in jail. And so this is a huge topic. I've given like three-day workshops on forgiveness. So I'm going to try to condense it down into this time that we have together and just give you a few tools. First of all, to impress how important it is and how it has nothing to do with what the other person does. As she's so beautifully illustrated in the song, it's never, whatever, it's never going to be bad enough. You're never going to suffer enough for me to feel like, okay, now I can forgive you. Because we have this mistaken idea about forgiveness that it is the same thing as condoning bad behavior. And it is not. It never means what you did was all right. It was okay with me. No problem now. That's not what it means. It means I will no longer give you power to re-hurt me over something that hurt me once. Because once you've hurt me once, I'm the one re-injuring myself by obsessing about it, by thinking about it, by bringing it up, by telling the story over and over and over again. And how many times have you done that? How many times have you done that? I, I, I get it. I do it. I do it because the story is so fun to tell because we're always the hero and the injured party. And they're always the bad guy. Guess what? You are, think about the negativity you are holding in your body that is flowing out of your mouth, that's flowing into another human being, that's filling the atmosphere around you every time you tell the story. Every time you tell the story. So the first thing to ask is, who is being punished here? Who's being punished here? I have a friend that says, my life drastically improved when I finally gave up the idea of having a better past. <laughs> if it's already happened, you can't fix it. But you can decide that you're okay 100% and move on clean and healthy and healed. So um, it has been described by various sages as uh, holding on to resentments or unforgiveness is like swallowing poison and waiting for the other person to die. Think about this. When you retell the story, you are poisoning yourself every day. Maybe they did something really heinous, but then you get to retell yourself that story and you think somehow I'm not forgiving him. 
Do you think he cares <laughs> that you've not forgiven him? Most of the time, no. Sometimes, yes. But we're always punishing ourselves. We are putting someone in jail. I, do, I will not forget this. I will not forgive you. I'm locking this door, and I'm throwing away the key, and I'm the one in the cell. They're just walking around doing their thing. Whoever it was that we saw or felt that injured us. So the first thing we have to do, and this is, this is a malady that I see very much in um, New Thought. That is, no, it's okay. It's okay. I've forgiven him. I forgive everybody. I have no unforgiveness for anybody. <laughs> first, we have to get real. If you can't admit that you were hurt, and I know I just said don't tell the story over and over and over again, but you may have to tell the story once or twice and tell the truth about the story because we have a tendency to tell what our perception was and the more times we tell it the worse they get and the more innocent we become have you ever noticed that <laughs> i used to love to hear my dad tell a story i mean it's like sometimes i would hear the person who told him the story and then i would hear him tell the story over and over and over again and it may have started as a 90 second story and then it takes him 20 minutes to tell it because so many details have been added our family is given to hyperbole who would guess but this idea that we do when we tell the story, not only are we re-injuring ourselves, we're putting ourselves in the same emotional position we were in when we were initially hurt during a time when no one else is actually hurting us. This is, this is a real thing that we do to ourselves. But we're also changing the story ever so subtly every time that we tell it. So we get real. We say, this hurts. And I feel resentment about it, or I feel anger about it. I used to think that people could hurt you without, being, without angering you at all. I decided as a very young child that anger was dangerous, as in my household it was. Um, and so I just decided never to get angry. I would just be hurt. And as an adult, when I began to go to a 12-step program, I had a sponsor, a mentor, who said to me, now it's time for you to make an inventory of your resentments. We need to get these out on paper so you can begin to deal with them. And I said, I don't have any resentments. <laughs> I don't resent anybody. I was serious as a heart detective. No, I have no resentments. I, I just, you know, my feelings, a lot of people have hurt my feelings. She said, well, why don't you start there? Why don't you write about the people who've hurt your feelings? And so I did, and I started with my dad, and I got out my little pen, and I went, <laughs> tore holes in the paper. And then I went, oh, I'm angry. <laughs> I'm angry about this stuff. Who knew? I'm angry about this stuff. And I had to write and write and write and write and write. There was practically a whole notebook on my dad. And then I started on my mom. <laughs> but the thing is, by, getting, by putting the truth down, here's what happened. Not who was the bad guy and who was the good guy, but here's what happened in my perception. Because only my perception, I can only really access my own perception. But here's what happened. And here's why I was mad. And then to ask myself, Do, did I have a part in that? And there were things that I realized I'd been holding on to guilt about 
that happened when I was five, six, seven years old. Okay, I was a child. I was a child. I wasn't responsible for what happened then. And I was able to begin to let go of that totally misplaced guilt. And then I had to look at some stuff that I saw myself completely as the victim of and go, well, I did, I might have contributed a little bit. <laughs> and I was told at one point that you're, you are a victim in a relationship. You can be a victim once, and after that, you're a volunteer. If you know that you're with someone who is going to do things to hurt you and you keep showing up, you can say it's all their fault, but who's making you stay there? It's you because you threw away the key and you're locked in this cell. The good news is the key is simply love. The key is understanding that love is the foundation of everything. Therefore, everything is either good or for my good. For my good. I can tell the stories of my childhood today, and some of them are really difficult stories. They don't paint my parents in a very good light. But I do not tell them with any resentment or even hurt anymore. I tell them with, here's what I learned. Here's how it strengthened me. Here's how I got past that and lived to love them both, literally to death. Took care of them in their last years of life with my whole heart, without any part of me going, why do I have to do this? You didn't do this for me. Not at all. And of course, here's the thing that happens mostly when you love people freely, not as a bargain. Okay, I'm going to love you and then you're going to owe me. People know that they're being loved freely and that frees them to love you back in a way that all the bargains and manipulations, okay, I'm going to do all these good things for you and then you're going to have to be my friend. I'm going to do all these things for you and then when I need something, I know who I'm going to call. Do you have any transactional relationships like that in your life? Because relationships aren't supposed to be transactional. They're supposed to be free. That someone's here with you because they want to be and for no other reason. Not because they owe you or because you owe them. This is a big thing to begin to get your head around. So the next thing is... I don't know. When I first start writing those down, I don't always know who and what actually happened. I have my perception as the victim, right? And so I can pray. I can say, show me my part and show me what I had nothing to do with. Show me my innocence and show me my part. Because we all have innocence and we all have a part. And it's interesting that as we say, I didn't have a part, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, we are not ever experiencing our innocence because we are pushing guilt away. And when we push guilt away, we don't even realize, is it big guilt, is it small guilt? We can hold on to guilt about things that were never our fault or that we had a tiny part in, but by welcoming them in, this is what I feel guilty about, show me where is my part and where is the innocence. Because sometimes my part was that I was just so naive, I just kept showing up over and over and over again. And I have to say that I kept showing up over and over and over again, partly 
in some relationships in my life, partly because I liked being the martyr a little bit. <sighs> he treats you so badly. Yes, he does. I know. Thank God I'm such a loving person. Right? And because I had other issues to work out, which was that my religion of childhood said you have to stay with this person that you married because that's what Jesus wants you to do. I had to heal the wounds of that. I had to go, wait a minute. Do I have a resentment against religion? Well, yeah. It was a huge one. It was a huge one. Specifically, the religion of my childhood. Specifically, whoa. Y'all hear me work that out up here all the time. But I had to get clarity. And part of clarity is understanding, as Don Miguel Ruiz says, you can't think any, take anything personally because nothing that someone else does is ever about you. It's always about them. Even if they're standing in your face going, you, 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 you. That comes from the hurt the call for love, the ugliness, the pain, the woundedness, the brokenness inside of them. And so as the Course in Miracles says, that calls for love. The only thing that can heal brokenness is love. I want to be clear, though, that doesn't mean that you stand there and continue to take abuse. You may have to leave the job. You may have to leave the relationship. You may have to leave the country. <laughs> Some people are easier to love from a distance, and that's okay. Because when you allow yourself to be abused, not only are you allowing yourself to be abused, which is hurtful, but you are allowing them to act out the worst of themselves by showing up and being the object. The Dalai Lama says we don't stand for abuse, not just because we don't deserve to be abused, which we certainly don't, but no one deserves to be their worst self. And when you remove yourself from a situation where someone is abusing you, you are at least for that moment, and at least toward you, taking yourself out of that equation so that they have a hope, perhaps, of learning who their best self is, or at the very least of being left alone and realizing, I'm still mad and nobody's around. I wonder whose fault that is. Hopefully, we get those insights at some point in our lives. I certainly have. And what this comes to is compassion. So the first tool is get real, get honest, try to tell the truth, pray for clarity so that you can tell the truth, and then allow compassion. Because when you are clear, compassion is the result. And if you haven't gotten to compassion, you're probably not clear yet. Go back and pray again for clarity. Pray again for clarity. This is a beautiful quote from Emmett Fox in Find and Use Your Inner Power. Don't condemn. As you cannot get under the other fellow's skin, you cannot possibly know the difficulties he has had to meet. How much temptation or misunderstanding or stupidity within himself that he has had to overcome. If wrong has been done, the great law, the great law of love, will surely take care of it. Rise up in consciousness and set both yourself and the delinquent free. Forgiveness is the strongest medicine. Beautiful. This is true. You may think you know what the other person comes from, but you don't know. You don't know. Even if you know a million details, you don't know 
but you can tell when someone's being ugly, when someone's being malicious, when someone's being violent, when someone's being hurtful, when someone's being inconsiderate and selfish, self-centered, all of those things come from a core of pain, which is calling for healing, calling for love. Now, you can't heal another person in that way, but you can heal yourself and take your condemnation out of the equation and take your victimhood out of the equation and allow them, perhaps, to get some clarity at some point. And here's the thing. We have to practice self-compassion, too. Because everything that we did, everything that was our part in what went wrong, we did out of our hurt, our brokenness. No one gets up in the morning and says, oh my God, I love myself and this whole world. I'm going to get her today. <laughs> no one says, I love myself and this whole world. That's why I need to get another billion dollars no matter who it hurts. No one gets up in the morning and says, I love myself. That's why I've got to have control over all these people. It doesn't work that way. So we have compassion and we have self-compassion. Because we remember that anytime you're in pain, that is a clue that you are holding on to something that is expired. In the same way that, you know, you might want to go through your cabinets, I don't know, maybe at least once a year, and go, oh, this is from 2018, probably better not eat it. <laughs> right? Go through your life. Feel where it hurts. Pray for clarity. And where it hurts is a place, I promise you, something has expired. And you're still holding on to it, thinking there might be some nutrition in it. There isn't. Let go. Let go. And after compassion, then we can begin to pray, not just for us and our own clarity, but to pray for the other person. Not to pray for them to stop being mean. Not to pray for anything other than, here is my prayer. I use it. And it works every single time. Holy Spirit, I pray for the highest good of this person. Every single good thing I want for myself, I now pray for him to be given from your loving hands. Somebody in your life you're having a real hard time with, that it would be really hard to pray that. Every good thing I want for myself, I want for him too, for her too. And it sounds like, Oh, I'm so good. What a good person I am to be able to pray that for somebody. Here's the deal, though. Their highest good is not to be abusers. Their highest good is to let go of greed. Their highest good is all kinds of things that you would want if you thought about it. It's not like, I wish for him to win the lottery. It's not that. The highest good so everything I wish for myself, I wish for myself, I pray for myself to be the best person I can be, to be a vessel of love, to share love in the world, to be a blessing of good. I can pray that for them. And then it's none of my business whether that prayer comes true or not. That's between them and God. And I promise, no matter if they're skipping around, 
These are, these, are, these are not happy people until they get to that place. But when we untangle ourselves from the situation, they have one less thread to wrangle when it's time for them to understand or get some compassion for others and for self. And whether they do that in this lifetime or not is not our business. We are free. We are free. There's a prayer in the big book of AA, and I love it. I carried it. I printed it off on a little card, and I carried it in my wallet for about four years before I quit my last job. <laughs> and it was very helpful. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. We asked God to help us show them the tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we would say to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. Wow. Because everybody who's doing hurtful things is a sick person in some way. And so you can pray for their healing. You can pray to be helpful. Sometimes being helpful means extricate your thread. No longer be their whipping boy perhaps. That's a way to help. Another way to help is to say, you know what? I still love you. My sister didn't talk to me for several years, for like two and a half years. And um, I wasn't really sure why. <laughs> um, but I knew she was angry. I could feel that. And I just played words with friends with her. That was the only thing she would respond to, is we would play words with friends. And on the little message, about every month or so, I would just say, I want you to know I love you, thinking about you. Not, do you love me too? Do you forgive me? What the heck's going on here? Just, I love you. I love you. And then one day, she called me. It's like nothing ever happened. And you know what? I was able to not ask her why. I was able to go, I love you. You're willing to be with me now. Let's make the most of this. And man, that is being not in jail. That is being not in jail. Cindy, if you're watching this, I love you. <laughs> Dearly. So that brings us to surrender. Really? It's about surrender. We have to give up. We have to give up thinking we know. We have to give up thinking that we are the arbiter and the judge and the jury and the executioner. We have to give up being the jailer. We have to surrender. And who is our greatest exemplar of surrender? Jesus the Christ was on the cross, bleeding, in pain, hurting, having been spit on, and called all kinds of names that had nothing to do with the truth of who he was. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Luke 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Truer words were never spoken. They didn't know what they were doing. They were reacting to their own hurt and disappointment and greed and insecurity and mob psychology, trying to get belonging with other people because they're doing it, I'll do it too, and then um, hopefully they'll be my friend. All of these things, Jesus understood that. But the other thing he understood, and this is what's so beautiful, and I never hear this preached about, 
He didn't say, I forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He said, Father, forgive them. Because right now, I'm kind of busy. I have my own pain to deal with. And from my human self, I cannot do it. It's too much. It's too much. So I can let God do it. Oh, me do, me do. That's me my whole life. I can do it. I can do it. You know what? Sometimes I can't do it, but I can let God do it. I can let God do it just on God's own. I can let God do it through me. I can let God do it through other people. I can let God do it through a message, something that I read, something that comes up on the internet, a meme, a picture, a puppy. (laughs) I can let God do it. And then we realize when we are able to do that, that the only forgiveness there really ever is needed is self-forgiveness. Because holding ourselves in jail, not getting clarity on what actually happened and telling our own story to hurt ourselves over again and not having compassion for others and not praying for someone else's good is only hurting us. And so we have to forgive ourselves. What is it that's making me hold on to something that is obviously painful for me? Why won't I take my hand off the hot stove? I need to forgive myself for holding it there for however many years I did. And yeah, I might still have a lot of healing to do. But at least when I've taken my hand off the hot stove, the healing begins in that moment. All forgiveness is self-forgiveness. And so there is a daily practice. Many of these are practices. As a matter of fact, I'll put them in an email and send them out to the church so you can look at them again. But another practice that I was given years ago when I had someone in my life who was like, man, I I kept trying to forgive him, but he kept doing the same thing over and over again. Volunteer. (laughs) But I volunteered consciously because I, I understood I didn't work for him. I understood I worked for God. And, and I prayed this prayer, let me know when it's time to leave and make me willing. So until I got the clear, it is time to leave, at which point I got willing pretty quickly, um, I prayed this prayer. And it's from the South Seas Islands. It's called Ho'oponopono. And it's, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. You forgive another person by saying, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Yes, you are freeing. You are pulling the thread of you out. And you can pray this for the whole world because guess what? We all contribute to everything that's going on. None of us is completely innocent. But when we say, I love And I am sorry for whatever I'm doing, consciously or unconsciously, that is adding to the pain of this world. Please forgive me. I am open. I'm humble. And thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. It works with another human being. It can work with yourself, your higher self, your lower self to your higher self. It can work to pray for the whole world. And so I want to lead us into meditation with a song. And then we'll practice that for a moment.
something or someone, some situation, circumstance, person. Or maybe just this planet. In your mind and heart. Even if it's someone with whom you feel much enmity and find it very difficult to pray for, As you're ready, you can open your eyes and return to the room. 